What is the difference between a trial and a temptation? Well, trials we discovered in our first study from the book of James are the circumstances of life that God uses to test our faith, to strengthen us, to make us spiritually fit. Temptations, on the other hand, are the circumstances of life that Satan uses to destroy our faith, to defeat us. So what is actually the difference between them? Well, in and of themselves, nothing. There is no difference in the circumstances themselves. The same people, events, Hardships and opportunities can be either a trial or a temptation. In fact, in the Greek, trial and temptation is the same word. It's only the way James uses it that has led translators to use different English words in the first chapter of his letter. And in reality, the differences between them is primarily determined by the response to the circumstance being faced. Again, not the circumstance itself. The difference is in the response. You know, if someone attacks us verbally or physically, it's only a trial if we respond with grace and restraint. It's turned into a temptation if we bust them in the mouth. If we're cut off in traffic and nearly have an accident, it's only a trial if our response is to thank God for keeping us safe. It's turned into a temptation if we cuss out the driver and flip him the bird. If we suffer a huge financial loss, it's only a trial if it merely forces us to really trust God to meet our daily needs. If we cheat on our taxes or rob a bank, it has become a temptation. I think you get the idea. Well, James has already made it clear that circumstances of life are nothing more than tests that will strengthen us if we turn to God in faith, pray for wisdom to discern his will in the circumstance, and then trust him enough to follow his will. Today, we discover how the same circumstances are turned into temptations. And James begins by making sure we understand the source of temptations. We're in the first chapter of James, verses 13 through 18. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren, for every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth 
so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. The first thing James wants to make perfectly clear here is that God tempts no one. And he knows we have a tendency to blame God for our temptations. We always have. When confronted with the first sin, Adam pointed the finger back to God and actually blamed God for his sin. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. In effect, he blamed God for the temptation and for his disobedience. But God tempts no one. You know, a trial is a good thing. It, it has as its objective our improvement. A temptation is an evil thing. It has as its objective our destruction, our alienation from God. Obviously, God is not, therefore, the author of temptation. Evil is foreign to his character. James reminds us God is not tempted by evil, and he tempts no one with it. There's no way we can blame God for our temptations. So can we blame the devil instead? You know, he's referred to in Scripture as the tempter. And he certainly wants the circumstances of life to become temptations that will lead us away from God. So when we're tempted, can't we just blame him? Well, Eve tried. When the Lord asked her, what have you done? She said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now what she said was true. The devil in the form of a serpent had deceived her. But she was the one who ate the forbidden fruit. God had put the fruit in the garden as a test, and Satan had turned it into a temptation. But that did not excuse her for eating it. God did not buy her the devil-made-me-do-it routine. She was the one who allowed the trial to become a temptation. So she couldn't blame the devil. And James won't let us blame the devil for our temptations either. Instead, he goes to the, the real heart of the problem and pins the blame on us. He says each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Now, lust is probably a poor choice of words here. In the original, it simply means desire, and, and it has no inherent sexual connotation. James is simply saying we're carried away and enticed by our desires. You know, he's already told us that the proper response to trials, the circumstances of life, is to pray for wisdom to understand God's will, his desire for us in the circumstance we're facing, and then to trust him enough to follow his will. And as a Christian, we understand that the proper response to everything in life is to seek the will of God. We know that, but it doesn't make it easy. Nor does it mean we do it all the time. You know, we have to constantly struggle to keep our will from overtaking God's will. And when we fail, the circumstances of life become temptations. Let's make that perfectly clear. Circumstances become temptations 
when we respond to them according to our will. Circumstances become temptations when we respond to them according to our desires. And when our desires have their way, they give birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. The end result of sin, of allowing our desires to overrule God's desires, is death, eternal separation from God. Obviously, God doesn't want that. So he doesn't try to get us to sin. Temptations do not come from him. He sends us good things, perfect gifts. He sends us what we need to become what he wants us to be, to be made into the image of his son. And even if he doesn't specifically send something into our life, it's still his will that it be used to accomplish his purposes in our life. In fact, every circumstance of life can be used by God for our benefit. Paul made that very clear in Romans 8, 28. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So God doesn't tempt us. He doesn't send things to bless us one moment and then things to destroy us the next. He's not the source of shifting shadows, giving light one moment and casting us into darkness the next. His love is constant and never changing. He brought forth the word of truth, telling us things we could count on. And he set us apart as the first fruits among his creatures, the most important of all. He chose us from all creation to belong to him and to be with him forever. He's not going to tempt those who belong to him to turn away from him. James makes it perfectly clear that no temptations come from God. Furthermore, he makes it clear that God has given to us what we need to keep the circumstances of life from becoming temptations. Let's read on. This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger is almost always good advice. The ancient philosopher Zeno even pointed out that we've been given two ears and one mouth to hear more and speak less. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger is a good verse to post on the fridge and applying to all of life. 
But that's really not what James is giving us here. His words have a specific purpose and application. He's talking about our response to the things that happen to us. He's telling us how to keep circumstances from becoming temptations, how to respond to life according to God's will. When he says we are to be quick to hear, he's talking about being quick to hear the word of God. If you want to know how to respond to a circumstance of life, go to the word of God and do so quickly. You know, it's hypocritical to say you want to know the, God's will and then not listen to what he has said. He has told us what he desires for us. And if you honestly want the best defense against letting your desires turn circumstances into temptations, get into the word of God and find out what he wants. It's so easy to justify what we want. And we can usually make a good case for it. But before we say anything, we better listen to what God has said. Now, God's ways are not our ways. When circumstances cross us up, our first response is usually anger. But the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. We must never respond in ways that are unrighteous, that are filthy in God's sight. So James says we must put aside all filthiness. And the word that he used for put aside had a very interesting medical application. It was used when instructing someone how to remove the wax from their ears. James is telling us to get rid of whatever is keeping us from hearing God's word so we can respond biblically. And isn't that our goal? To always respond biblically. But how do we do it? In the heat of the moment. James tells us we make certain that God's word is implanted in our soul in our mind, our will, and our emotions. We read it. We study it. We meditate on it. We memorize it. Our first response to the circumstances of life that try us and sometimes even tempt us will be biblical if the word is implanted in our souls and if we act upon it that's how we gain victory over temptations verses 22 through 27 but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. 
Anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The key to victory is using the defense God has given to us. It's putting God's word into practice. We must be doers of the word, not just hearers. We delude ourselves by simply reading or listening if we don't act upon it. James says it's like a man looking in a mirror and doing nothing about what he sees. If he doesn't look long and hard at what he sees and then act upon it, he soon forgets what kind of man he is. It's the same when someone comes to church and doesn't see himself reflected in what's being said. When he won't look long and hard at what's being said and think about it and then act upon it. We must look intently at the perfect law. The complete law of God is revealed in his word and then apply it to our life. We must abide by the law, which is, in fact, the law of liberty, the law that sets us free to become all that God has sent us to be. We talked about that extensively in our study in Galatians. If we abide by what we find in God's word and become an effectual doer, we will be blessed in all we do. Our responses to even the unpleasant circumstances of life will bless us, strengthen us, and make us spiritually fit. James ends his teaching on temptation by giving us some specific things we can use to check to see if we are responding properly to life's circumstances, to see if the word is really implanted in our souls and we are doers of the word. He begins by clearly stating that our religion is worthless if it doesn't control our tongue. If you want to know if the word is really in your heart, listen to what comes out of your mouth when trials come. How do you respond verbally? If your tongue is not bridled, controlled by the Spirit of God, you are obviously not responding properly. You're allowing circumstances to become temptations. Your tongue is therefore the first indicator that you're not finding victory over the circumstances of life. The next one is the ability to see beyond your hardships. Pure and undefiled religion won't allow us to be so overwhelmed by our own circumstances that we fail to respond to the needs of others. If you can ignore the needs of widows and orphans who have nothing and no one to care for them, your religion is worthless. 
You're not trusting God who promised to meet your needs so you can help meet the needs of others. We know we're achieving victory over our circumstances when in the midst of trials, we can still reach out to others. Finally, he reminds us that we must never seek release from the stress of life by worldly means. We must remain unstained by the world. During times of stress, the world often seeks release through drugs and alcohol and sex and other indulgences. By letting down moral barriers, people hope to escape the unpleasantries of life. Pure and undefiled religion won't let us do that. Pure and undefiled religion leads us to face circumstances with a controlled tongue and without drowning in self-pity, without crying, why me, and remaining blind to the fact that others are also hurting, and without seeking release through worldly means. Pure and undefiled religion leads us to victory over temptations because it keeps us in God's word and keeps us seeking his will above our own. If we will honestly surrender our will to God's will, the trials we face in life will never be turned into temptations. And victory is guaranteed. We must surrender to his will. If we don't, life becomes one temptation after another because we're responding according to our desire, our will. Don't let that happen. Let the circumstances of life be trials that strengthen you, trials that bring you to further and deeper trust in a benevolent Heavenly Father. Trials enable you to see the good, even in the midst of a world that's filled with, with horrible things. But you've got to surrender to his will and not follow your own.